Are you a fan of nature shows at all? I would say that I am, especially the shows that have to do with animals. I just think it's kind of fascinating to learn more about God's wonderful creation. If there's a knock on nature shows about animals, though, it it would be this. They're awfully predictable, right? It's the same every time. It doesn't matter what ecosystem the show happens to be about. It could be about the, the rainforest, the African plains, the desert, the ocean, the Arctic, America. It happens every time. It's always hinted at with, uh, uh, it it happens every time. Um, The same thing happens. And what is it? One of those animals is going to get eaten. Right? It it happens every time. And this is where I was going. The most recent uh, animal show that I, I did watch was about bison in Yellowstone. Just beautiful cinematography, this gripping narration. You're just drawn into the world of the bison. You're amazed at these animals. They're, they're so majestic in that beautiful backdrop. They're, they're fast. They can run like 35 miles per hour if they wanted to. They're, they're, they're tough. They can survive all different kinds of, of weather. Uh, they're graceful. They're strong. They can charge and, and kick off a a pack of wolves like they're swatting flies. You, you just, you're just amazed by these bison, but you know what's coming. And it's hinted at with just one little shot in the nature show, one little scene, right? It's just a couple of wolves off in the distance. And, and you don't want it to happen, but you know it's going to happen. Sure enough, one of the bison, probably a young one, gets a little too carefree, a little too cocky, wanders off pretty soon, Big, powerful mama bison and all the rest of the herd are far away, and the chase is on. And how's it end? Pack of wolves eating lunch. The narrator is explaining the way of the wild. Right? It happens every time. You're like, why? Why does it happen every time? Why can't that young one just stay close to the one who's powerful enough to protect and save? But it never happens. At least that only happens on animal shows, right? Hmm, I'm not so sure. It also sounds a lot like people's lives at times. Just look at us, humans. Fearfully, wonderfully made by God. We have thinking abilities. We have skills to be able to adapt and, and problem solve. We have emotional strength. We have physical strength, physical nimbleness. We, have, we, we are wonderful cre- creatures of God. And just like with those nature shows, it's hinted at, not by this scene in a, in a documentary, but with this little passage that we heard just a, just a few minutes ago. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. No one wants this to happen, but it's inevitable. People get a little too carefree, a little bit too cocky, they, a little too independent, and they wander off, and the next thing you know, It's the aftermath of devouring. This is what I thought about when we are starting to take a look at Mark 5 and Jesus' power over the evil one. Today we're going to look at an incident with the evil one. And we're going to see that evil is not an idea. 
It's not this concept to try to explain away bad things. We're going to see that evil is actually real, personal, supernatural beings. They're as real as the wolves in Yellowstone, and they are doing the same thing, prowling around looking for people to devour. But as real and as powerful as they are, that inevitable cycle with people, it doesn't have to happen. Today, as we dig into Mark 5, we want to learn how we can stay close to the one who is powerful enough to protect and save us from the evil one. Did you hear what I said before? I said, evil is a real, personal, supernatural being. When I say that, there can be really two reactions. There can be fear or we can dismiss it. We fear it or we dismiss it. I want to look at both of those throughout our message today. I'll start with fear. Fear had to be the reaction of 12 men who were standing with Jesus on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We love maps, right? So here we are. Jerusalem down on the left there. You Dead Sea, and you just follow the Jordan River all the way up to that other sea. There's the Sea of Galilee. Most of Jesus' ministry takes place on the west side. You can see Capernaum, Nazareth. They cross to where you see Hippos there, but all these cities are called the Decapolis. It's called the region of the Gerasenes. So just to get your bearings of where, where this is happening. This is not in the usual places Jesus goes. It's nighttime. Uh, the disciples' nerves were fried. They were just calming down from the worst, scariest storm they had ever been in in their boat. That's the storm that Jesus had just calmed, said, Peace, be still. They're getting out of their boat, looking for some rest, and what's the first thing that they encounter? When they got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Can you just imagine this? The disciples had barely stepped on dry land, and the first thing they hear is this awful, bone-chilling shriek. And as they squint their eyes to see in the moonlight, what do they see? They see this, this man running straight at them, yelling at Jesus. He, he's naked. He's got broken... Uh, irons on his wrists and in, on his ankles. He's got scars all over him. He's got open wounds. And he's on a dead sprint just yelling at Jesus. It's obvious this was a man, but this was more than a man. This was a man filled with what? Real, personal, supernatural beings. Demons, pawns of Satan himself. And that, that's what Mark indicates when he talks about this impure spirit. And so I just think about this and put myself in the disciples' shoes and 
that storm that scared them to death was child's play now. I got to imagine they were afraid. And I'm just going to admit, this is probably the least, I, I, I like talking about this thing the least. I don't even like to think about it. Um, for me, it started out when I was a kid. Uh, near the house where I grew up, there was this old, really old, run-down, abandoned church building. And it was always rumored that satanic rituals went on in there in the nighttime. I couldn't even ride my bike by there. I was so scared. It continued um, when I was living in the dormitory. Uh, just this eerie, freaky, horrible event involving a Ouija board happened two doors down from my dorm room. And I won't talk about it, um, but it kept me up at nights for months. Uh, it happened here. I was sitting at a table at Spruce in Boulder, and uh, there's a group of ladies sitting at the table next to me. They pull out the tarot cards, and uh, a man goes over to them and asks them if they could uh, communicate with his deceased wife. And they tried to, and I, every hair on the, my body stood up, and so did I. I was out of there. And the reason I mention those things is to show you that the fear of Satan and his demons is real because they are real and they are powerful. The disciples felt that fear. I feel that fear in talking about this, and I think you do too. And, and to be honest, I think that fear of something like this is a good thing because it should tell us, stay away from this stuff. Don't even go near any of it. But my point in bringing up the disciples' fear and my fear is this. What do you do with those fears? Where do you go with it? Where were the disciples going to go as this man is running at them? They weren't going back in the boat. This is, I think, one of the most interesting aspects of this event. In all of this, in all of this fearful scene, there's only one who is described as afraid. Did you catch who it was? When that man, possessed, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Who is deathly afraid? It's not the disciples. It's certainly not Jesus. It's the demon named Legion. And that amazes me. See, he isn't running at Jesus and the disciples to fight them or to threaten them or even to scare them. He's running to beg Jesus not to hurt him. That's an awesome point. Because for all the terror and domination and, and power that he exercised over the man whose body he took over, over the town that he lived in, the demon was the one who now had to bow down low. The demon was the one who had to surrender. The demon was the one who was powerless and defeated. That's a huge point. People can doubt and wonder who Jesus is, but demons do not. They know Jesus 
is the Almighty God. And even though Satan and demons have power, they are no match for Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. At just one word of Jesus, they have to obey. At just one word of Jesus, they're outsmarted. They're defeated. They're overpowered. And here they're sent off into a watery grave. So we're not told where the disciples were when all this was happening, but here's how I picture it. I picture the disciples as this man is running, just getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus, hiding behind him even. It's right where they should have been, right? The best place to be when evil comes prowling around because demons are no match for the power of Jesus. And so I want you to remember that. We rightly have a healthy fear of the power of the evil one. But you don't have to be paralyzed by that fear. Instead, just stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus in his word because at his word, demons go running. The evil one has to run. Stay close to Jesus in your connection to him through your baptism because that's where he is sent to a watery grave for you. Stay close to Jesus in his coming to you personally in, in Lord's Supper, in Holy Communion. Because there you're reminded that Jesus' victory is yours and the devil is defeated. For as powerful as the evil one is, there's one thing he fears because he has to acknowledge it. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You don't have to fear. So that's fear. I said there were two reactions to this phrase. Evil is a real, personal, supernatural being. You can fear it or we can dismiss it. I want to I take a look at what it means to dismiss it. There was an article pro, uh, produced by the New Yorker, the publication of the New, York, the New Yorker. It was an article on the idea of evil, and this was a quote I pulled from there. The idea of evil hints at dark forces and has an antiquated feel. It suggests a vision of the universe as the stage for a battle of supernatural powers. And that idea, that, that threatens the modern, enlightened conception of the world as moving towards a just and peaceable future, one which can be shaped by human will and intention. To me, this is an extreme example of dismissing evil as a real, personal, supernatural being. 21st century minds go, you believe in a devil? Like a real being? No way. That, that's antiquated. It threatens our modern, enlightened conception of things, right? That's, that's an obvious dismissal. That's real, and I think it's important that you know that's out there and be careful of that. But I, I know you, I think, better than that. I don't think that's as much of a danger for us as another way of dismissing Satan and his power. How, how do we dismiss the evil one? Well, to explore that, I want to turn our attention away from Legion and instead focus on the man whose mind and body he controlled. Okay, let's focus on the man himself. Now, to be fair, uh, we're not told anything about this man before. Okay, we just... We just meet him. But I, I, I wonder, 
Knowing what I know from the rest of the Bible, I doubt very much that these demons just randomly jumped on this guy one day and took over him. It didn't, didn't just happen like that. Again, this is just wondering on my part. But I wonder if, if living so far away from temple and, and worship life, if maybe he had just slowly drifted away spiritually. I wonder if, if living off, away from Israel, living around um, people who worshipped false gods and just lived however they wanted, did, did he get loose with his life? You know, just kind of dabbling in this, toying around with that. Pretty soon was he so far off that he was a prime soul for the prowling demons to devour. I imagine it kind of gradually like that. And again, it's just speculation. But I wonder that because isn't that so often how the devil works with people, with, with us even? Do we ever dismiss uh, the devil and his lies? Do we ever think, ah, they're not that big of a deal? Right? Just maybe dabble with this. Toy around with that. Pick any sinful action. Greed. Um, gossip. Excess. Envy. Uh, lust. Drunkenness. Whatever. You, the list can go on and on. Pick those things. Look how reasonable and fun and freeing those seem in the moment. And isn't that because Satan is whispering in our ear, don't, don't worry about God. Never mind God's word. Do this and, and you'll be really happy. Just this once. You're way smarter than all those other people that got caught. It's fine. You, you can repent later. We toy with it. We flirt with it. And pretty soon, we're drowning in it. Right? And what's the end result? It's not fun and liberating and, and freeing anymore. It always results in shame to us and pain to others. So what I'm saying is, I want you to note this well. What the devil won't do in possessing people, he can more than make up for in tempting people. And how many times haven't we left feeling devoured. And it surprises us, right? All of a sudden, here we are. We've fallen. It surprises us. And I think this, this incident probably surprised the disciples quite a bit as they got off the boat. But you know who it didn't surprise? Jesus. Not only did he know that this was going to happen, he wasn't surprised by it. He never is. Knowing what I know about Jesus, I'm almost positive that's exactly why he was there at that time, in that exact space. Because look at the result of him being there. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. So often when we look at this account, we, we look at the effects of the evil one. 
And the disciples were looking at that. And the people who came from the town, that's what they were looking at. But where was Jesus looking this whole time? At the person. This man's heart. This man's soul. And so it's more than Jesus' power that amazes us. It's, it's the way he uses his power, the purpose for which he uses it. He's never just going off to be a superhero to show that he has the power to throw these demons into the pigs. It's in compassion and mercy. He saw this man who had been terrorized terribly, a man whose body and mind and soul had been ravaged for so long, and he had compassion and he had mercy. Satan will always use his power to destroy, but Jesus will always use his power to free and to heal, to save, to strengthen, to clothe. That's what happened here. And as we close, I want you to know it's not just for this man in Mark 5. It's for you too. We all sit here today with our scars, right? Maybe some open wounds. All metaphoric teeth marks of that prowling lion in our lives. But at the same time, we sit here freed. Because Jesus went to battle with the, the devil's temptations and he came out with a perfect record and that is yours. That's how God's looking at you right now. You sit here today healed. Every one of your sins is paid for by the cross of Jesus, healed in the innocent blood of our Savior. You sit here strengthened from the battle because you look at an empty grave and know that Jesus' victory is yours. He rose from the dead and you have eternal life. You sit here today clothed, clothed in all the blessings that are yours from God through your faith and your connection to Jesus. That's how Jesus uses his power over evil for you. And so there's only one logical response as we go home today. It's the response of this formerly possessed man. I just love this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged to stay with him. That's literally what it says. Begged to be with him, to stay with him. Man, what an awesome thing. We never want to end up like that wandering animal in the nature shows, right? We want to be protected and safe and healed and saved. No better way to do that than to stay close to the one who has power to do that, to Jesus. Amen.